Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have near-death experiencer, Julie Papivis. And Julie's story is remarkable. She was left in the balance between life and death after being in a brutal car accident and receiving a severe injury to her brain stem. And not only did she defy all the things that the doctor said, but she was able to come back and live a very normal life, or as normal as you can be after having a near-death experience. Her story is truly, truly inspiring. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome the show, Julie Pepievis. How are you doing, Julie? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to, to hear your story. I've, I've heard parts of it, and it's it's interesting to say the least. You have, you have a very interesting uh, NDE story, uh, to say the least. So my first question to you is, what was your life like prior to your NDE? Very ordinary. <laughs> I was like, and, and I remember saying, I, I can't believe that God gave all this to me because I was just such a ordinary person. And, um, it, and it really felt like a responsibility after I had my, um, NDE. So, um, I was just, um, I worked as an accountant for Pricewaterhouse and for McDonald's Corporation. And then I was an account executive for Estee Lauder. And then I had um, my accident. So did you feel, did, did you feel like happy? Were you off? Did you like feel something was, <clears throat> something was missing? Did you feel you were off track in life prior to the NDE? Well, I had gotten divorced the year before. Okay. I got divorced the year before and, um, and it was, it was my decision that I made. And, um, and so, um, I felt like it was the right decision for me. So that kind of threw you, but that but you, do you, you felt there was something off at that point. Well, like, I never, I don't believe in divorce. I mean, I never got married to get divorced. You know what I mean? Well, no one That's does. I don't believe it. Right. But, um, it's not that I don't believe in it, but I just never certainly got me crossed your mind. Well, no. let, let me ask you, what was your, um, what were your religious, did you have religious beliefs prior to your NDE? Yeah, I was born and raised Catholic. Same here. And, um, when I, I remember making my first communion and that was like a big celebration mm -hmm. with family and, and friends and, um, First communion, I was able to talk at the church and read uh, one of the readings. And that was so exciting for me. I love mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then my confirmation, 
I always have loved the Holy Spirit. I've always had such a connection I felt to the Holy Spirit because that's the living spirit. And so I've always felt really connected to that. And so when I made, we went through, you know, different classes um, before we made our confirmation um, in eighth grade. And my grandmother was my sponsor, who I was very close to, and we saw in heaven. And um, it, it was just a wonderful thing for me to make my confirmation. I thought, I'm like an adult in the church, and I'm like, woo, closer to the Holy Spirit. It was a big it was a big thing. It was a big to do, a big to do, as you as you said. Yeah. I remember, I remember going through the exact same things, communion yeah. and 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 confirmation, back mm -hmm. in the day. So tell me, so tell me what happened in your uh, NDE. Um, well, um, I was all of a sudden in this open area where there were no floors or ceilings. Well, what happened? Like revved up? Like how, what was the accident? Like what happened? Like how did you get oh, injured and all that? Oh, 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 oh. Well, I was living in a shopping mall. Um, I had just gotten home from a trip with a, a, a girlfriend from Cancun. We just were, were like, we're working too much. We're just going to take a quick trip. And um, we had a really nice time. And um, I got home the day before. Pardon me. Got home the day before Sunday. And then Monday I went to work. I don't have any memory of the time at work. But um, after work, I went to get some moisturizer for my for my son that I got in, um, down in Cancun and um, I was leaving the shopping mall and a young man who recently had gotten his license um, was speeding going over 50 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone and he uh, was distracted and ran the red light and nailed me right in my driver's door. I was in a little sports car and he was in a bigger older car and um, at 50 miles an hour he hit me and um, you know, when something's coming towards you, you're going to look towards it. And I must've been doing that. And the force of his car hitting mine at 50 miles an hour, twisted my head around on the brainstem and lacerated and suffered most of it. Oh but, um, there was an off-duty paramedic who was at the scene. Um, he was from another town, the next town over getting a tire fixed, um, but I guess they all have radios that communicate with each other. And there is a, another fire station right down the street. And so he called them and he told them to bring the jaws of life because my car was so crashed in, save time to be able to get me out. And he got to my car first and he broke the back window and got behind me um, and lifted my head to serve an airway so I didn't lose oxygen going to my brain. And that really was so helpful. And and then the paramedics were there, um, you know, again, right down the street. He called them right away. So three minutes, they were full on me. I mean, they were quick. 14 minutes door to door from the hospital wow. from getting the call. Yeah. I mean, amazing. First responders, amazing. And um, they, I, when, when they got to me, uh, the paramedic wagon, I already did not have a blood pressure. Um, and so my body like depleted, you know, you lose all control of all your body um bodily functions in the in the ambulance and everything and um they and because I didn't have any blood pressure they knew that there was they needed to have an EEG test done in my brain to determine life or death status and so they call ahead um always to the hospitals to let them know what they're getting and so um they called to have a neurosurgeon waiting 
and he was waiting and he did an EEG on my brain and it was shown that I did not have enough brain activity to keep me alive. So in most states I could have been legally declared dead, but in Illinois, there's a law that your next of kin, your family member and caregiver or someone has to be contacted before you can be legally declared dead. So they were forced to put me on life support and they called my mom and dad uh, to come in and make the decision to keep me on or take me off. And um, we recently lost my dad to cancer and- um, Sorry. Thank you, very hard. And um, the his oncologist said, I know this diagnosis was the worst day of your life. And my dad said, no, getting the call about her crash was the worst day of my life. I mean, it could make me cry right now. It's just, you know, I, I'm not a parent. I know you are. And I mean, I, I just can't imagine anything more devastating uh. than to, to get that. And then, then they got pulled aside by a chaplain when they went into the hospital and a doctor and a nurse and they were told that 96% of people with my injury die within the first 24 hours. And the 4% of people who live, live semi-vegetatively, like in a nursing home, but my parents were going to get me cared for at home. They had made that decision if I had made it past the first night. And um, I guess all of a sudden um, a priest came to give me last rites and my parents hadn't called our parish. And so they just really did not think that's when they, I think they it was, they knew that it was that serious. I, I don't think it really hits people initially. It's too much right. information coming at them. Um, and, you know, that's why when, when they say that, um, you know, most people die, 96% of people die with my injury in the first 24 hours, I did die in those first 24 hours. And, but I remained in a coma for six weeks. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And um, my, my parents kept me on life support and kept fighting for, they, you know, my dad said I kept seeing, they wanted to put me into a nursing home after a month and there was just, they were giving them no hope because it was brainstem was mostly my injuries. So, you know, that's your involuntary functions in your body. And so um, my dad said, no, we're not gonna put her in a nursing home. We're gonna put her in a coma stimulation program to give her a chance um, to wake up. And we're just gonna give her every chance to try and get better. I mean, I was training for a biathlon. I was 29 years old. I had a great career. I mean. My dad said, I just couldn't say, okay, yeah, we'll just put her in a nursing home and there's no hope. He said, I just, I didn't feel that and I wouldn't do that. So, so, so let me ask you a question. Everything that you're saying right now is fairly detailed, but you're out cold at this point. So this is all secondhand uh, information, yes. correct? Yes. Okay. So at what point, what was the last thing you remember before you went to the other side? Um, last thing I remember was, um, when I got home, like it was Mother's Day when I got home from uh, my trip to Cancun and um, my girlfriend's husband uh, dropped us off at my parents' house because it was Mother's Day and my brother drove me home and we were talking about my trip 
And that's the last memory I had. So, so was your brother in the car too? No, he just, when he dropped me off the night before. So that was Sunday night. So I, so what my neurosurgeon has told me, you remember in sleep wake cycles. So the last thing I would remember is before I went to sleep and he's, that's why he said, you won't remember Monday at work. And I don't. Oh, you, so you don't remember the accident? No. No. Oh, you don't no. remember the accident at all. No, and, and my neurosurgeon said that my body could never take remembering that. He said, it's just, he said, that's your brain's way of protecting itself. And he calls me his dead patient. He said, you know, you were instantly. So, so okay, so what was the first memory of you being on the other side? Um, so I knew I was there because I was dead. You knew it. So it wasn't a confusion. Like, nope, I'm dead. Yep. Well, I knew I was there because I was dead and no floors or ceilings, just open and um, no walls except this very narrow aisleway to the left-hand side. And I remember thinking, why did God make the aisleway so narrow when a lot of people die like in the natural disease? I do. I remember thinking this and I'm like, when I get down that aisleway, I'm going to ask him, why couldn't you make that wider? I mean, I can't believe that I was thinking of that. That's but the I thoughts in your head. I know. I'm like, why? Would... And so the next thing I knew, I was before my two deceased grandmothers. And I, I feel like it really was not my deceased grandmothers. I feel like it was God and the Holy Spirit because um, my one grandmother did not speak. And my other grandmother... Um, it was like her eyes were these tunnels of blue light. We all had blue eyes and she didn't actually speak words, but I couldn't take my eyes off her eyes. And I was happy to see them. Um, and I said, okay, come on girls, let's go like down the highway that we were going to go together. And my grandmother said, you can't go back or I'm sorry, you have to go back. You can't go with us. And I said, well, I can't go back because I'm not physically okay. And I was pointing to my left side that was paralyzed. And and how I knew that I was paralyzed, no idea. And with, again, these endless tunnels of blue light, it was just like thoughts that were like conveyed to me and not words, but it was like said that your body will heal. And then I just felt like I was wrapped in a big warm blanket, like by the Holy Spirit. And I felt like everything was going to be okay. And I was protected. And then she said, go back and be happy. And so that's why we need to book that. That's my website. That's why everything is go back and be happy. Because that's the thing, the last thing that she told me. And the next memory I had was waking up from the coma at the rehab hospital six weeks later. Wow. And so that was, so when you were on the other side, there was no life review. There was no, any no. of the other things that are typical in a, in, in a near death experience. This was just like, you got to your grandmother's, they said, Nope, you got to go back. And then the next thing, but it was six weeks in time, technically. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I have no idea when it really happened because I'm sure I died on the way to the hospital. And, um, and um, another gentleman was, 
who's done a lot of work with near-death studies, he said, he started laughing and he said, I have never seen God or the Holy Spirit show up in grandmothers and, you know, and other people that he's like, you know, and, and I said, it, it was just the oddest thing. It really wasn't like my grandmothers. It was just the form of them. And, and, and it was perfect because, you know, who more would I feel more comfortable with? And I was so close to them and it was wonderful to see them and for them to greet me. And I would have been happy to go with them. And, but for me, it was, it just was so amazing that when I first got there um, and I knew I was dead, it's a, it's a perfect piece that you'll never be able to feel here on earth. It's just, it's, it's just such perfection. And, and you felt, I'm assuming, love too, just a, a, a tremendous yeah. amount of love around there as well. Yep, just a, just a peaceful perfection. And it seems that, from my understanding, from talking to so many near-death experiencers at this point, that each each NDE is custom built for the person. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, if you believe in Jesus, Jesus generally shows up. If you're a Buddhist, Buddha shows up. If, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a tribesman, you go down other words, you know, there's different, different things. And right. they will, it makes perfect sense that your grandmothers would show up because they are the most, you were very close to them. You would feel comfortable with them. If, you know, somebody, you know, Uncle Bob showed up and you like knew, you knew Uncle Bob for like five minutes somewhere and you kind of remember right. him, you're like, what do you, Uncle Bob, what are you doing What are you here? doing here? <laughs> But yeah, I've heard I've heard like, you know, first grade teachers showing up for uh -huh. for people because that teacher meant something. I was going to say it was special to someone special right. to that. And they never other than the first grade, never saw them again. But they go, mm -hmm. oh, it's Mrs. Oh, what's her name? And oh, well, what are you doing here? And it's so it's it, it that's it's, you know, a common denominator is making it feel very comfortable. Generally speaking, some some go down a, a darker path. <laughs> yeah. I feel sad for them, but, yeah. but, but I feel that, you know, for, for, for my situation, I don't, I don't know how it could have been more perfect because when I woke up from the coma and I was totally paralyzed on my left side, couldn't see, couldn't talk. I mean, it, it, it was bad. I was, yeah. In diapers, fed through a G tube. I mean, it was the whole nine and oh, wow. It was, it was bad. And, and you, and I'm assuming the pain hit you the second, because there's no pain on the other side, but when you second, you got back, it was like, Oh God, we're back. Right. Well, and, and you know, the first day I was like, God, how could I remembered my experience in heaven? And then I was like, how could you leave me in a body like this, that I can't do anything for myself? Like I couldn't even communicate. I figured out how to press like, my right hand that wasn't paralyzed to my face to be able to say like, yes and no. Um, it's just like my uh, voice box was partially paralyzed. So that's why I couldn't really speak like sentences until they did some voice box surgeries. And I mean, I never had any idea how much your brainstem controls and what it all mm -hmm. does. And, and, and I, I just, I, I felt like, like I couldn't believe that he left me or, in their body and the fact that um after i woke up two weeks afterwards i started i said to my dad okay i think i want to start walking <laughs> and the nurses were like oh you're paralyzing and i'm like well i want to try 
And we got in trouble, my dad and I, from the nurses because he was like, my dad was a big man, over 6'6", six, six, and just a big dude. And so he picked me up by the back of my scrubs, and he was like, okay, she wants to try and walk. I mean, he was really holding me, but he's like, he wanted me to feel like I was doing something and that I wanted to do. And um, they were like, you can't be doing that kind of thing. She has to be in a wheelchair when she's here. And But I started getting better so quickly, and everybody kept saying to me, you know, people he had people hadn't seen in in the hospital system such a severe brainstem injury, and a person who had been deceased actually wake up and actually start to recover to the extent that I did. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then do a triathlon 10 years ago. I mean, that that's the whole thing with my story is that I guess, you know, brainstem injuries, you know. You don't come back from those, generally speaking. Right. Right. Let alone how you came back, which it seems miraculous in its own right. Right. Um, well, so let me ask you this. Um, so after you get better, you, obviously you go through rehab and you are able to start to walk and you're able to go back into your, into life of some sort, you know, mm-hmm. you know, after some time, when did you come out with this story? Cause I'm assuming this is not, you know, coffee talk. Uh, <laughs> no, no, exactly. Right. And, and people were all when I was, uh, I went to Loyola University Hospital Medical Center, and it's a big university hospital. And you know, they said because of the miraculous nature of my healing and my just living, um, that they wanted to do, you know, some literature on this. And my neurosurgeon was not anyone. He since passed away from Parkinson's, but he was a dear, dear man to me for many years, and um, he never wanted any attention, really. Um, for anything he did, he said, because if I could do this, I'd be doing it for everybody. And he said, so he only gave one interview um, with a TV show and it's on my website because he didn't want, uh, and it's a Christian show and he was a Christian man. And so he just said, you know, I don't want people thinking that this is something that can normally be done. And there was anything that I did. This is God who is doing this. And so um, he just, you know, he, he wouldn't take credit for it. And so he didn't really want to write a book and I really didn't want to either. Um, and so I don't remember, oh, oh, I know. So I do remember, excuse me. Um, I started because I don't actually even know how it got out, to be honest with you. I really don't know. Um, but it started getting out in the news what the, 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 your story, your story, story your story, yeah. but not the yeah. near death stuff yet. Not the other side no. stuff, just the story of the died came back, but you hadn't really come out yet out of the closet, if you will, with the, <laughs> the spiritual side of, of this miraculous uh, thing. Right. I, I, well, I didn't come out really with anything. I, I literally was, I mean, rehab was my job. That was sure. my job. And that was this is the hardest work I've ever done. And I mean, and that went on almost every day, four days a week, at least three days a week. I mean, for months and for like a year and a half of just doing that and nothing else. And 
that was my job was to try and, you know, get better. And so the thought of writing a book or doing the end. And, and so, um, like I said, when TV shows started calling, literally calling my house, <laughs> they were just calling my house and, uh, the 700 club, Dr. Oz called my house. And I'm like, and, um, so I did a bunch of different shows and, um, well, and it all happened too, because, um, so when people started, um, saying that I should, um, get out and speak more about this story, um, and tell this story, I was like, oh boy, okay, you know, I'm an accountant, I'm like, I, I didn't know, I really, you know, I had never been a, a speech person, and, but I thought, you know, this is a story that people seem to want to hear, and so, um, people were like, all the TV shows and, and the people in the media were like, you know, you really need to have something to give away with this, um, like a book or something, and for people to be able to live with and read more information about the story. And so um, we self-published a book just to get it out there quickly um, because TV shows were calling and, um, and then it was picked up by a large publisher in England. And um, Lion Hudson and put out everywhere and so then I just began speaking much more and so when so when did you come out with the story of the near-death experience I really don't remember I mean I I don't remember like exactly how many years it took me I actually told my parents um when I was still going to rehab and I was actually um, living with them part-time. And then I went to go live with my sister. I only lived with them for a month because, you know, after you've been out on your own, it's hard to Oh, no. There. And you're in your late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, you don't right? want to go back. No, no. Right. Mm -mm. So my sister is like, come by, come by me. And, and that worked out well. And then I was talking to my parents and on um, one night and I said, well, I didn't want to upset them. I didn't want to tell people my family because I didn't want to upset them and you do think that if you tell people they're going to think that you're bizarre or that right. they're not going to believe you or a whole host of reasons and so um yeah I, I really this, what did I, your parents they, say what did your parents say they knew they knew they already had an they really had an instinct about it already intuition they did because they said you have been so peaceful about this. We had a feeling God had intervened. Interesting. So you, you've been so even about this and have just taken on this recovery and just do what you have to do. And they're like, we're not surprised. Because they knew, uh, because they had, um, we had, um, taken my neurosurgeon out for dinner my dad wanted to thank him and we've had different meetings with them that my parents did too and so they knew from him that I was deceased and so um like I said he, his call and they went for my, my dead patients but he called me and so um they knew it and so that's why they weren't surprised so it was, it was a war it was a warm reception to the idea it wasn't like yeah. you weren't like ostracized yet no. Yet, I'm sure it's it came after you started opening up a little bit more about it. To uh, did your colleagues, did your friends, 
Did your other your siblings, any of them just go, what? Um, I, I, I really, most people, um, get the same kind of belief systems that I, so do. you were good. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was pretty good with that. Um, I, nobody, um, I, I, the word ostracized, I can never say was anything. Okay. That, no, Mm-mm. you were lucky. I mean, you were lucky because a lot of, a lot of near death experience, you know, struggle with what yeah. happens when they come back. Yeah. When they come back, other either for parents or family members or colleagues that just go, it's, it's not an easy, this is not an easy conversation. It's, it is for you and I, because we both understand it. Um, yeah. But it for other people, it, it could get a little weird. Uh, it, right. Yeah. And, and it makes it, stop. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and it makes them want to, it makes them look at their own mortality, which is also something that they don't, like I always say, right. everybody wants to go to heaven, but just not right now. Right. <laughs> well, but, but you know what, though? I mean, I feel so lucky that oh, I was yeah. given a glimpse. And I, I, I mean, I, I feel so fortunate. And in the end, it's changed my life in the way since I have had that glimpse. Um, I really don't care. I, don't know. I know that sounds kind of gruff when I say this. Oh, I really but... don't care what people think about me, but but I I mean about that about the experience. First of all, I know you know there's a lot of people out there and people lie. I don't. Mm-hmm. I would never lie about this. And you know I'm just like I said, such an average person. I really am, and I never sought any kind of attention from this or never. And and so. It's just because I've had this experience that I feel that it's necessary to talk about it. And especially now, I think after COVID, people are much more interested in talking about this. What do you hope that your story does for people? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I hope that... It gives them a little insight as to what um, is to be expected after we pass away. And then I know that I was so fearful of what happened, even though I you know, was a practicing Christian. I'm like, I don't know. I, would, I certainly wasn't a perfect person. And I'm like, you know, who knows what happens when you die? And, and so I'm like, now I feel like I can share that with people and give them maybe a little okay all right so you have to really pay attention to what i'm doing here and act right <laughs> so i'm assuming based on your based on the story you've told me that your religious beliefs have not changed if not they were strengthened right yes for sure they were they were strengthened and because i've had atheists come on who all of a sudden were like well i understand there's a god now <laughs> it's so funny because um, when the book first came out and there were different um, book launch parties and stuff, you know, and there just were a lot of different people there. There have been, in, in, in some of the speeches I've given, there's been people who have come up to me privately afterwards and said, I'm an atheist and this has given me something to think about. And I said, well, amen. That, that works. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so what is what is your biggest takeaway? from this experience? Um, I, I feel so lucky that I know 
that God is with us all the time. And I know that we're taught that um, and that he's only a prayer away. And I remember like when we we were little kids, because my dad would always say, you know, give it up to God, just give it up to him. And I, I pray all the time and he never answers anything. And I remember saying that to his little kid, my dad would be like, just keep praying, just keep praying. And I feel like now I can say that, you know, God, I feel like now after, you know, today having this podcast with you, Alex, I feel like I have, you know, more personal connections, certainly. And, and that's how I feel after being in heaven, that I have a more personal relationship with God. So after this near-death experience, because I mean, obviously you were already on a path, you were 29, um, you know, you were living your life. How do you approach life after the accident? How did you approach life after the accident in regards to just living day by day? Like, how did you, was there a major change from before to after? Like you, I know you're not afraid of death anymore, so that's a good thing. Right. But, but did you like, oh, I got extra time now. Um, I'm not going to waste it. Is that kind of the, the, the route you went to or how did, did it affect your day-to-day life? I, I mean, I was so disabled when I woke up that, you know, for years, it really, I mean, years, I, I did rehab. And I mean, I, it was some like eight weeks to get my one toe to point forward. You know, it, it was ridiculous amount, but thank God there are people who do that. I mean, my recovery for years was my job, as I said. I mean, and so I feel like that was the work that I was supposed to do. And so I didn't even really have a job. Um, I wanted to go back to work. And every time I tried to um, work a little job because um, I wanted to go back and do something, um, I would end up back in the hospital with pneumonia. And my neurosurgeon said, you cannot work full time. He's like, there's, there's just no way your body does not have that kind of stamina. And he's like, you know, you're in upper management before, and there's just no way that you're going to be able to do that. Your body will never be able to keep up with your brain. And so he said, that is going to be something that you're going to have to learn to accept. And he said, and because it is a difficult hurdle, he said, the suicide rate for this injury is 85%. Because a lot of people can't make, wow. yeah, you know, meet that struggle, and so um, he actually called my parents and I in to tell us that um, in his office. And so I've had a lot of therapy, and I, I like I said, that was my job for years was taking care of myself so that I could get better, so that I could someday live a life where I could do things to help other people and. You know, I speak a lot of places, Dr. Shea, my neurosurgeon, he, um, the College of Neurosurgeons, he has a um, program called Think First. It's an injury prevention program for schools, for middle school and high school kids. Now with all this stuff going on with fentanyl and I mean, just mm-hmm. with injury prevention, just all of it. Um, and so they had people like me get in there and talk about this kind of injury prevention thing and he goes, get in the school and talk to these kids because we can't keep fixing these kinds of injuries if they don't start paying attention to taking care of themselves. And so 
I do a lot of that. I started that. It was the first thing I started. Well, let me ask you, why do you think, not only why do you think this event happened to you, but why do you think that you had to go through all of this pain in the recovery process? I mean, this is a big, this is a big package to carry, you know, right. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wish I had the answer to that because I'm like, you know, and it's, it's funny because again, my, my dad and I were talking when I you know, was at my parents and, um, and my mom too, we were talking about, and my dad said, this recovery is a responsibility. He goes, do you know that? I said, I do know that. He goes, this recovery that you've had is a responsibility. And I said, I feel that I really do. I felt that from early on. And, um, so I always knew that that was what I was going to be going out and doing. Um, but why I had to go through all of that, I, I'm less than happy about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, but, it, but, it, it, but you're stronger for it, aren't you? <laughs> I was mentally, strong. mentally, 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 oh. mentally, mentally, you're stronger for it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So, yeah. you know, there, there, you know, a lot of people listen to these shows because they're either going through something, they either lost somebody um, or they're in the process of losing someone or they're sick themselves and want some answers about the other side. Do you have any, you know, comforting words about uh, that can help, people dealing with loss about to lose somebody lost within their own, their own themselves going through a, a disease or something like that about the other side that could be maybe comforting to them. Well, I know that loss is hard. Loss is loss and it, it's very difficult. And, um, when you suffer a loss, that's something that you suffer. And, um, but knowing about where your loved one will go, where you will go if you are ill, um, and how beautiful it is and how peaceful and wonderful it is. And it's really like you've gone home. It's so welcoming. It's where you feel like you belong. Um, that I hope gives peace to people because it's the truth. And it's there for everyone. Well said, my dear. Well said. Uh, now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests. Um, mm -hmm. What is your definition of living a good life? Mm. Um, having a having good love. Um, yeah, um, and doing work that's meaningful and. Um, Gosh, good life. Um, yeah, I, I just help for my friends and family. I mean, I, I just, it's, it's really nothing more than that. Fair it, enough. It's pretty simplistic. I, I, I just really, I'm just so fortunate to live every day, except this COVID, that um, is usually very healthy and um, I swim and do the triathlon and I still be able to do those kinds of things. And, um, I've met a wonderful man in my life. And so that's wonderful. And, um, 
I have a wonderful family and good friends. And, and so I think um, all of that Fair is enough. so important. What is your definition of God? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Definition of God. Um, he's omniscient. There's really like no definition of him. He's not, it, he's just, uh, it's a, uh, he's omniscient. So, yeah. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? Um, you know, we all, it, it's funny. I, I've said this to people before. So I, I notice when I speak to kids or to people who are very old. So people who have either just come from God or just going back or will, will be just going back to God are the people who really get this. And um, I, I, I just really think that 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 is what is so important to, to tell people that. To tell people what? Well, uh, tell people that, you know, people who are just coming from God and people are just going to God, what they get, I just want other people to be able to get. Got it. So they have an understanding of things because they're closer to source than. Yes. And I want, I want to give that understanding to other people who might not have that understanding Got through, it. through my story. And so, you know, I, I just, I, I feel like there's a whole, you know, middle of population of us and, and, you know, myself included before I had my injury was, you know, in that, and we're all living our own lives, doing our own thing. And I, I think that we get away from that. And I think that to be able to bring that story to people who are all in the middle, I think is important. And Julie, where can people find out more about you, uh, your book and the good work that you're doing? Um, they can go to my website. Um, Go back and be happy.com. <laughs> and um, I'm also on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, not on Twitter yet. Sorry, we'll be. <laughs> and your book's available on Amazon, of course. Of course, yes. Yes. Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us in, in this incredible story. And I hope it inspires and gives some comfort to a lot of people listening out there. So I appreciate you, my dear. I appreciate you too very much, Alex. I appreciate this so much, giving the opportunity to talk to you. I want to thank Julie so much for coming on the show and sharing her story with all of us. Thank you so much, Julie. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 186. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.